mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. All right, today we're here with the vanilla gorilla himself, Chase Lindley. Chase is, uh, I guess, the closest thing starting strength has to a Wolverine. He was this this human cyborg thing that we grew in the lab at Wichita Falls. So Chase answers the question, what happens if you take these methods that Ripito writes about in his books and uh, apply it to a young man who's actually willing to do the program? He's willing to not miss a workout. He's willing to add weight to the bar when he's asked to. He's willing to eat, and he's willing to sleep. And the result of that is Chase Lindley. So Chase is a 700-pound-plus deadlifter. He's a 400-pound-plus presser. He's a big, strong dude. He uh, kind of puts all of the arguments to bed about whether or not these programs work to make people very strong because Chase, I think, for example, you'd have a, a world record level press for someone in your weight class, just as a normal guy that, that bumped into Ripito's gym um, because you were lucky when you were a young guy. So let's, let's start there, man. Uh, give, me, give me your current age, height, body weight, and PRs, and then let's, let's go backwards and hear about how you discovered Rip in the gym and where things started way back when. Well, yeah, I'm 24 at the time of this recording. Um, I'm sitting about 250, maybe 252 with body weight. Um, current PRs, I have. And you're six foot. Pulled, yeah, so about six foot one, six foot. Yep. Um, I've pulled 730. I have pressed 405, squatted 655, um, benched 435. Um, best clean and jerk. 175 best snatch is 132 and for the non-olympic lifters clean and jerk and snatch are referenced in kilos in case you're wondering why mm. you're so damn weak on those lifts um, i am man yeah awesome man so come clean with us how many steroids did you take along along the way what uh, was it was a d-ball was it uh, two migs of test per week um or two grams of test per week what, uh, <laughs> what, what did you what all did you take to be honest I give you like the standard uh, Ronnie Coleman answer, you know, your typical stuff mm -hmm. of just meat and vegetables and, and just being consistent in the gym. Like, um, so I'm a diabetic and I take insulin, so that does help, but uh, I don't, you know, mistreat it in any sense and hell like it without the work that I'm doing, I can still take, um, you know, all the stuff that I'm eating, all the insulin and it, it wouldn't show for anything. Yeah, but jokes aside, you've you've not fucked with steroids at all, is my understanding. Nope, yeah, never have. Yeah, so what do you know? Um, yeah, so when when Rip is telling you guys on the Q and A that you're six foot and you'd be a better lifter if you'd gained thirty or forty pounds and you weigh you know two hundred or two ten, he's not telling you to look like a fat slob. He's telling you that if you follow the process, you can look like Chase. Not not that the the aesthetic is the goal, but. The aesthetic is certainly a nice side effect of, of uh, and if you if you want to really get big and strong, you've got to gain the weight, right? And um, Chase, what was it about you that uh, so so back us up and tell us tell us how you met Rip and how you stumbled across the gym, and then I want to know what was it about you that made you unlike other young men in that you were willing to actually listen and follow the program, and not just follow it, but religiously, like it became your thing. And you never missed a workout, and uh, the results speak for themselves. So, where did this all start? Uh, so, it all started, man, in, in junior high. Uh, I remember being in the seventh grade, and we were introduced to the weight room um, for my first time. And, you know, we were doing some silly shit of like, hey, let's get everyone maxes so we can do percentage stuff. Um, and, I mean, I, I think I squatted like 150 but like god awful form i remember uh one of my arms came off the bar and i'm squatting it up with like one arm uh just some it's some fucked up shit um never deadlifted uh we did hex bar deadlifts so that that didn't really count and then you know benched which was like 125 or something so 
was like, man, I, I really, I like this and I, I want to get stronger for my sport and I just, you know, stronger in general. So um, I asked for a bench set for Christmas that same year and I'm in the, my backyard and I'm just doing a bunch of shit with the, the bar, like doing curls, uh, forearm work, a uh, bunch of bench. And this is like six days a week, just in, in the backyard, fucking around. Um, you started like the rest of us too, huh? That's good to know. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. But it was a short little brief exposure. You were still a kid. Very yeah, you didn't, you didn't yeah. waste your 20s doing this shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, my dad, he, he was at work at the time that I'm training, and he he's oh, kind of protective. And he's like, look, I, I don't want you, you know, cracking the bar on your neck or just like having a freak accident in the backyard where I'm, I'm still at work and I can't help you. So um, for right now, just like, don't train. I'm like, Oh fuck. Like that's the worst thing I could ever hear. And especially coming from him because my dad's very, um, laid back. He is not the most person to like, uh, to come to for answers or just like to seek something out. So whenever he says, I want to find a solution, I, you know, I'm shitting my pants. Cause I'm like, man, I, I'm never going to be able to train again. So we heard about, um, the gym through a family friend and he's like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll go check this out. So we go in. Do you remember and when you heard, by the way, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but do you, so you heard about the gym. Do you remember what the, mm -hmm. what the reputation was or what the, you know, what did you hear about the gym? If you recall. So <laughs> this, this came from a, uh, kind of an obese kid and, um, he was always pushing the prowler and they were just trying to make this kid quit because he kind of was always flaky about showing up. So they're like, yeah, man, this. This gym, they'll just make you push the prowler. They'll try to make you throw up. Like it's just, they just kick your ass every single time you're in there. I'm like, oh, dude, this sounds perfect. Like this is the place to be. So we walk in, uh, Ripto's doing his thing, you know, like typing with his two little fingers. And my dad walks into his office. He's like, hey, I'm looking to sign up my son. Ripto just like kind of just glanced over his shoulder real quick. And he's like, just, you know, motions in the back room. Didn't even say anything. <laughs> Uh, we walked back there and it's Josh Wells. He's in the back coaching a bunch of kids. And um, my dad was like, hey, looking up to sign up my son. And Josh was like, all right, 100 bucks a month. And, you know, he starts Monday. How old Monday. would have Josh been, by the way, at the time? Fuck, man. I started 12 and that's been 12 years ago. So Josh is, I think he's 36, late, 30, late 30s, so he's mid, yeah. early 20s. So, yeah, he's about like my age right now, 25. Right. 26 somewhere around there and he was a starting strength coach at the time i don't know for certain hmm. i think he, he probably was um because about three to two months of working with josh he left for uh new york so uh, you know at, at that time he, he must have had the credential at that time hmm. but uh he, he looks nothing like he did or he does now like he doesn't have um the, his tattoos he had his little chin that you never see uh it's just it's it's funny kind of uh reflecting on that you got to send me photos. So, um, what, oh, I, don't, I didn't have this? any photos and I'm sure Josh has like made every single photo of him with a chin just disappear. Like he, <laughs> he hates it. Well, whatever photos you do have from those days, including the one where you're, uh, on the wall at, at, uh, Wichita Falls athletic club in your basketball Jersey mm -hmm. and you just look like a little boy. That's, that's going to be a fun yeah. one to put up. Um, yeah. So you got, you got to, you got to train three days a week with Josh Wells. Who, mm -hmm. who, for those of you that don't know, grew up in Ripito's gym and is now, you know, one of our best head coaches in SSCs. Um, and and for a hundred dollars a month, you got coaching from Josh three times a week. Mm -hmm. in a, I did in a group with kids or or what? Uh, whenever I started out, there was me, two other kids from just north of Wichita Falls. There was. I think one other kid. So there's about four or five of us. Mm -hmm. And throughout the years, it was always kind of like this group of kids would come in and then it would dwindle down to just me. And then another group of kids would come in and then same thing. It, I was always the one that was left standing. Yep. Yeah. This is how black belts in jujitsu are made. Same idea. The one that doesn't quit, the one that keeps showing up, that's mm -hmm. the one that, that can be the world beater, you know? Um, so at 12, you can't really train. You can learn the lifts and you can make progress here and there. How did you approach programming and, and at what age were you able to actually do the NLP? Uh, when we started kind of from day one. Um, it, it wasn't making five pound jumps. It was more like two and a half for, we were actually in the back room because, you know, Rip doesn't want any kids up in the front. So we were messing with kilos. Uh, it was like one and a quarter, uh, kilo jumps or even just like a kilo jump. Funny story. I remember uh, Josh teaching me how to press, and 
you know, at the top, you're showing people how to shrug. And he's like, no, look, you need to shrug like this. And him being a fucking strong man at the time, just like pop something in my, in my neck. I'm like, mm. oh shit. So yeah, like uh, for a week there, I was kind of walking around like Frankenstein and, you know, I didn't tell my dad anything happened because I didn't want to like, you know, not go to the gym. So I'm just like, oh, you know, I, I strained it in, you know, at school or something like that. But yeah, I was like, you motherfucker. We worry about you young knucklehead coaches that are too strong for your own good when you're putting your hands <laughs> yeah. on old people and stuff. You know, it's like, I don't know if you guys know how to be gentle, nor do you realize that some people aren't, you know, built like a block of steel. Yeah. <laughs> I need the delicate touch. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so tell me about the progress you made. What, what were your numbers early on? And do you remember kind of some of the milestones you hit and how long it took to get there? Starting out, I think I squatted like, like 25 kilos, which is about 55 pounds. Um, pressed probably just like a, a 15 kilo bar. It was about 33 pounds and then deadlift uh, somewhere around like 75 pounds. And then just gradually going up, um, I'll never forget whenever, so in the back room, you know, it has all the, the colorful kilo plates and, you know, just kind of just being a kid, just curious, you know, asking what is the heaviest weights in the room? And Josh is like, oh, it's the red plates. So I was like, my goal is like to get on the red, right? So I'm, I'm kind of like working my way up on the rainbow. First time I hit the green plate, I remember that. And I was really excited. And then Josh was like, dude, your form was terrible. We're going to take this down. I was like, oh, fuck. Mm. Well, no short-lived moment there but then you know you, you come back and you listen to josh and or whatever the coach was saying and um i made improvements and from there i remember um just gradually working my way back up um and then man it was shortly after josh left um there's another coach named brian fox that came in and yeah he was just like you know we're still going to keep going and by that time i was kind of hitting the early stage of puberty so i could really kind of hit some jumps there um, so around I was pulling 14, 15, what? Yeah. About 13, late 13, early 14, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Um, able to hit again, some goals where I'm just like, look, I have now a red plate on the bar. Um, and now we're just going to work our way back up to adding another red plate. That's kind of always how I envisioned it. Mm. Um, and it always has kind of made sense to me to do that instead of just going from a big goal of like, Hey, let's have five reds on the, on the bar, mm -hmm. which was in the back of my mind, but kind of making these short term goals. And you've, I mean, you can't fit that many on the bar, but if you could, you could throw six on there now at this point, couldn't you? Um, yeah. Yeah, you six six plus. Um, so when did you get to 225? You got to 135 when you were 14-ish, started training at 12, and then 225, how long did that take? Mm, on the squat, probably about a year and a half in, mm -hmm. maybe almost two years. Mm -hmm. And what were you pressing at this time? Oh, I was probably hitting around 80 to 90 pounds. So you're a 14-year-old kid, and you're squatting 225, and you're pressing... Oh, uh, this was more more 13. <clears throat> 13, okay. And you're squatting 225, yeah. and you're pressing, you know, getting close to 100 for your overhead press. Mm-hmm. And then what about 315? How old were you when you first squatted 315? Oh, I was a freshman in high school, so just probably turned 14. And I remember hitting it in the, the iron room because we, we finally were like, look, these plates in the back room are just, I'm kind of getting thrown off by the whip. Mm -hmm. So we, we made the pilgrimage out into the iron room. And I remember hitting that the first day. And uh, before that, uh, Brian kind of tricked me and he was like, hey, I just want you to stand underneath this bar. And he loaded it on 315, just kind of get a feel for it. Um, that was kind of freaky. But, you know, a few weeks later, I ended up hitting it and it was no big deal. Nice. And how old were you then? Uh, probably about 14. 14. And you were playing football at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Do you recognize what this did for your football game? Was it clear to you at the time? It was. So I, growing up, like I was a little bit above average in terms of athletic ability. Mm -hmm. And then with this, it was just kind of like another new step um, where it gradually, as I was getting stronger and I'm practicing more, like I was able to do things that, I always saw like the really genetically gifted kids do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I always had to work a little bit harder than them, but I was still on par with them on the field. And that, that really struck out as something very important to me. You could tell, you could tell that this was the thing that was uh, giving you the competitive edge that you weren't necessarily born with. Like the guys that are going to get drafted to a D one school, right? Yeah. What's your vertical, by the way, what's your standing vertical jump? 
My best is 31. 31. So you're, you're, you're athletic. You're not a freak, but you're athletic. Mm -hmm. And then what about 405? How long did it take you to get from 315 to 405 on your squat? Man, that took probably about another year and a half, maybe two. Um, by that time, Brian left and I was with Nick Delgadillo and I, I didn't hit 405 for a single. It was for a three by five. So we, you know, we didn't really do singles in the gym. It was just mainly five. So, um, I probably could have hit it a, a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, I'm just sticking to the program. We're not going to do singles. And that was probably whenever I was 16 or so. 16 year old kid, three sets of five, four Oh five. And what was your body weight back then? Do you remember? Oh man, I was probably about maybe 185, 195, close to 200, somewhere around there. Damn. And roughly what were you pressing at the time? Uh, I was around maybe the 200 pound barrier, 200 maybe pound 225, press. pretty close to there. As yeah. a kid in high school. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. <clears throat> and then do you remember, um, do you remember how long it took you to get to the next plate? So 495? Uh, 495, that took, that took probably another year or so. Right. Um, and that was for a set of five. Uh, so programming kind of changed. Uh, they put me on the Texas method, which was fun man it made you grow mm. um came back from um so this was whenever i was in college um i was i was getting pretty close to um 495 for a set of five mm. i would i just quit football their off season because they were getting too many kids hurt and i was like no i'm not i'm not doing this and especially playing for a team that went 0 and 10 like i i rather just come back home and you know go to ripito university and become starting training coach mm -hmm. Um, so one weekend I dropped into Wichita Falls and I squatted 495 for five. Mm. Hell yeah. So this is, uh, maybe you're 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've squatted 655 and that was that for a single. That was, and I was a dumbass cause I didn't record it, but no, I, shit. Hopefully I can. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen you squat some serious weight in the gym. I, I, you know, for me, the, the starting strength bar is pretty rigid. And then uh, mm -hmm. when your ass throws all the plates in the gym on either side, the thing actually has quite a bit of whip. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we'll, get, we'll get a video of you where you're unracking the thing and the weights go, and then you set yeah. up and then bend over and squat. Um, we actually had to uh, get you some crash pads because your Olympic lifting was pissing off the neighbors. And um, mm -hmm. we're, these gyms are in retail centers, and you can't be shaking the foundation of the whole damn building by throwing, uh, what was your clean and jerk? uh it's about 175 yeah 175 kilos on the ground so you've got you've got crash pads now um so you know what you know what's really funny about that we actually learned a little bit more truth behind this so uh we're stuck in between here in oklahoma city in between a nail salon and like a herbalife juice bar which the herbalife people they're cool because you know you get a bunch of crossfit people in there so they're used to kind of just the weight the weights and the music and all that stuff but of course the nail salon you're not like the demographic in there is just you know, your, your Nana or your, your grandparents in there. So them having, you know, some death metal blare, the next room over, and then some weights clean around. That's they're not used to that. Um, <laughs> so I, I started training out in, um, at late at night. So I'm, you know, nine o'clock at night and I did that for about a week. And then Colby dropped in and I just to see like how I was adjusting and just, you know, kind of talking shop. Well, they were next door cleaning and he popped over there and he's like, Hey, I'm sorry for all the, the noise level and stuff. We're trying our best to kind of uh, you know, do what we can to fix it. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, we're fine with it. So he's like, well, you've also heard reports that like, you know, y'all are getting, you know, tile cracking. Um, there's damage to your property. And they're like, no, it's, he's, he's not doing any of that. Hmm. Turns out it's the landlord's wife. She had came in whenever I was normally training around like two or so. Mm. Yeah. And of course, you know, I'm making some noise and she's just like super bitch level and complains to her husband and her husband's like, look, look you can't be training at this time. Mm. Otherwise, you know, when you get the boot. I think that's reasonable. Actually. I think, uh, I think probably, um, you know, the gyms weren't necessarily designed to making that much noise in the middle of the day. We're, we're, mm -hmm. we're kind of for the, the white belts and the blue belts, like the people just learning how to get strong. And we've got some, some, you know, intermediate advanced trainees, but, um, we definitely didn't anticipate having Chase Lindley's at the gyms, uh, making that much noise. So 
I think that's a good solution. I think it's a good solution. Yes. Yeah. Train at night. Don't piss off the people trying to have a relaxing time, getting their yeah. nails done. And uh, we put a small speaker in the gym so that we didn't turn into one of those powerlifting gyms with blaring death metals. But uh, if that's what you need for your own session, then, then knock yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> but you keep it quiet when you're coaching people, I hope, right? Oh, yeah, we do. Like, yeah. it's reasonable because, you know, you got to hear us cue you instead of you know, what's playing on the speaker. Right, exactly. Yep. So give me some rip stories along the way. What was it like growing up in Mark Ripito's gym? And um, I would love to hear especially any any coaching stories or any epiphanies under the bar that Rip helped you learn. You know, it was really fucked up. Uh, so I was there for about three years before he even spoke to me, um, you know, because he just thought I was a normal kid. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm always there. So he's just like, hey, um, I need a job. And that was my first kind of interaction with him. And the job was I had to cock the perimeter on the outside of the gym. And oh, he you know, said he Rip came is, to you and said, you need a job. No, no. He's like, hey, I need someone. Oh, uh, I got you. Yep. Okay. And so he just walked back there with a group of kids and all, everyone else was just like, oh, I'm not talking to Rip. I was like, hey, you know, for 300 bucks, fuck yeah, I'll go cock this outside of this gym. Um, and, you know, Rip is very ambiguous with his direction sometimes whenever it comes to that because he has an idea in his head but he, he didn't really express it he just was like hey <laughs> here's six twos of cock um just you know use them and then you know just outside perimeter make sure you cover all the holes so i've seen people cock and i've always been used to like the thin bead um you know like in bathroom work and stuff like that so i i laid a thin bead around it and i, I used like only one or two tubes of the cock and there's like four other tubes left so he calls me up and he's like this shit won't do son. Like I need you to use all the tubes and no more. They're like shit in my pants. I'm petrified because the ribs are very intimidating. And he was, he's kind of calmed down here recently in the, in the past few years. <laughs> yeah. But earlier he, man, he, I did not want to be on his bad side. So, no. you know, I'm over there saying, yes, sir. Sorry. Uh, I'll go over there right away and, and fix it. So I just, I went over there and I caked <laughs> it, man. He's like, yep, this is what I want. All right. Well, he set you straight. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to read the guy's mind and uh, and get it right. Otherwise, you're fucked. That's the that's the mm -hmm. challenge. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's exactly. good for kids, though, man. You got to got to keep kids. Oh on yeah, toes. I loved it. Yeah, and then once he saw that, you know, I, I loved. I, I mean, I do like it, but um, I wasn't afraid to work. He, he just he layered it on me. He's like, "Hey, I need the the roof tarred." And I'm like, all right, how much you can pay me? It's three hundred bucks. Cool. So I went up there and we tarred the outside of the kind of like where the awning is that overhangs the. Um, on the roof of the, in the wall, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard that, and Hey, I need my, my yard mode. So I was his little handyman. Nice man. So this kind of built the relationship between you two after you noticed you're, you're not a normal kid and you actually show up and mm -hmm. he started throwing odd jobs your way. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, did you get any mentorship from him? Is he, I mean, I've, I've heard him on the podcast, give you some advice about what books to read and things like that. Um, has he given you any advice outside of the weight room? Definitely. Um, probably the biggest thing I learned from Rip is the ability to think. Um, going from, you know, he kind of put me through a, a novice linear progression in his own way with um, with thinking. So it was, hey, I want you to read this book. And he slaps down Basic Economics uh, by Thomas Sowell. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I thought I'm done with school. Like, I, I don't want to read this. Um, and it was other stuff. So it's like, hey, read Starship, uh, Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein and all that stuff. So once I actually started reading that and figuring out the message of why he's trying to do this, yeah, that that was a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, so him kind of instilling that it's okay to think, it's okay to have um, your mind going constantly. Yeah, I, I'm forever grateful for that. Awesome. Th this might be a, uh, an ambiguous question, but how how do you think? So Rip Rip taught you how to think. What what does that mean? Like, what, how do you approach thinking? How do you approach ascertaining the validity of new information? It's trying to find as much facts in it as possible. And if they don't make sense to you, come up with a way that it does or do more research. Um, so, you know, with public schools and stuff, it's just, you know, this is what we're going to learn. This is how we're going to learn it. And then you're going to get this result. Hmm. Whereas with him, it was, well, let's stop and think about this. And it, it'd be some silly shit of like, if we have a bolt stuck that we're over there trying to like torque down on whatever project that we were doing, he'd stop and literally think and be like, well, we think about the physics here. You were holding your arm pretty shittily. Uh, so let's fix that. You know, just, <laughs> everything turned into a lesson. Um, 
from like, you know, how do you put trash liners on a trash can? It's just that guy is, he's very special with how he thinks. So he's, he's simultaneously teaching you that everything needs to be thought about. Um, mm-hmm. meaning you shouldn't take anything for granted. Um, while he's also kind of showing you specific skills and, and how to apply that thinking to individual situations. Yes, definitely. Um, and then how do you, how do you ascertain facts? So you, you mentioned, you know, the, the first step is to kind of determine what the facts are. How do you determine whether or not something is a fact? How do you determine whether or not something's true? And I ask you this question because I always thought this was pretty obvious, but, um, in recent years, it's proven that that's not the case. People seem to have trouble uh, making the delineation between narrative and fact. Have you have you thought about that at all? Do you have a method to to make that distinction in your mind? Man, I think now since he's just made me read a bunch of material about him, like um, some very nonfiction, boring stuff. I'm just deriving facts from that. Um, you know how how they went through that methodology of these first principles and just, just like how we kind of talk about in the coaching lecture, um, those first principles that can't be reduced any further and applying those across a wide spectrum of things. And if they don't fit, something's fucked up and we have to make it fit or we have to re reevaluate this. Mm-hmm. So he, he's, uh, outlined the logical deduction process to kind of sanity check other people's claims is what mm-hmm. you're saying. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. That's valuable, man. Um, have you read any Taleb by the way? I have, um, so he handed me um, Skin in the Skin Game, in the game yep. and then from there, I just bought all his books. So I, I've read Black Swan as well, nice. um, Need to Read, Anti-Fragile, and the other one, I think. Hmm. I the last one. Um, but yeah, th- those are solid, and one of the concepts Taleb points out is the difference between a narrative and a fact. So we won't go too, off, too far off on a tangent, but for those of you that are interested in Ripito's reading list, anything by Taleb is, is a solid choice. So you're in Rip's gym, you're getting strong as hell. Um, when did you realize that that lifting wasn't just a hobby for you, but you were excelling at it and you wanted to put up some serious numbers? Like you wanted to keep going, you wanted to become a lifter, this was going to be your thing. When did that, when did that click for you? And I clicked early on. Um, I think, and also the, the thought of why not do this well into my, my forties and thirties and actually do this for a job that clicked pretty early on too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big contributor to that was just seeing people come in for the seminar. Um, so, you know, me being a little snotty little kid and seeing like these Titans of starting strength, just come in and, you know, realizing like they travel, they get to do this for a living. They see different walks of life meeting new people like that was just that, that was mind boggling to me. Um, my dad's been pretty heavily on, you know, you need to get out of this town. You need to do something um, worthwhile and that you love. And I was like, well, this sounds perfect. And as we're opening up gyms, um, he did, he, he was always pretty, pretty hesitant about what I was doing in the gym. Like he understood like, Hey, this is your sport. Um, this is to make you better for that. And not really how this is going to attribute to making money. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until I said, Hey, I'm going to move to Houston. Um, or I had the opportunity to actually move to different locations, but I, I'm going to choose Houston. Mm. Did he realize, Oh shit, like this is actually very important to chase and he's going to make something. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a big thing. Man, that's pretty cool. Cause you, uh, <clears throat> you were not a starting strength coach at the time, but having no. grown up in Ripito's gym and gone through the process yourself and coaching people and seen other people go through the process, you had a, a very good baseline of education and talent. And so you were able to roll into Starting Strength Houston, which is the third gym that ever opened for us in the franchise system, and uh, work with Josh and Shelly Wells, both SSCs that grew up in Ripito's gym, and then J.D. Shipley, who at the time was an aspiring SSC as well. And then you and J.D. got to learn under the tutelage of Josh and Shelly and become SSCs yourself. And then uh, shortly after that, you branched off to be a head coach at your own gym over in Oklahoma City. And... um, Phoebe joined you, which is a, a really fun story. And I'll, I'll link to an interview I did with you guys up here um, way back when, when I saw you in Oklahoma City. There were two two episodes of that interview, and your relationship is pretty entertaining. Um, so talk to me about that. I mean, you, uh, you took a big risk by not going to college, and then here you are, 24, 24 years old, head coach at, mm-hmm. a, at a starting strength gym, 
starting strength coach, making a good living. Um, talk to me about where you think you'd be without starting strength, what you might be doing otherwise, and, and uh, kind of the uncertainty and the risk associated with deciding to do this and just hoping everything was going to work out. And if I didn't have starting strength, um, I'd probably be in Russell Falls working at some machine shop, you know, with my dad, um, just hating life. Um, and never escaping and never really kind of fulfilling some dreams that I have. Mm. Um, but with this, yeah, it, it, it's definitely been chaotic at some point, but at, it's, it's a roller coaster ride whenever I tell people this. So you have your highs and your lows. And I'm sure that's with really anything that you, you really love because there's going to be some shit that tests you in life. But, um, you know, moving, that was a big one. You know, you're going from Wichita Falls, just this little blip on a map to, Houston, that was a big change. And, but I mean, it, it was a change for a better. And then I realized that, and then going to different locations and realizing like, you know, there's different people there that the way that you have to present material is going to be different. Um, that was another challenge that I loved. And I've always been kind of a person who seeks challenges. And if I kind of find myself just being in stasis, I hate that. And I always try to do something different. Because you learn from starting strength in biology and from Ripito that there's no such thing as stasis. You're either advancing exactly. or you're declining, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it's been a chaotic ride, but it, it's it's something that I really do enjoy and I can see the benefit. And I saw this really early on, um, not only with myself, but just, uh, you know, people that were coming into the gym, either training with Carmen or uh, that, that was going into the seminar and that Rip has kind of talked to. Um, I, I really love that seeing that you can change someone's life and their, their perspective. That was a, a big thing that you don't really get to see um, sometimes if you're stuck behind a computer screen or whatever job that you have. That's awesome. What, um, what are some of the stories that strike out to you the most that you've seen over the years, whether it be at Wichita Falls athletic club or at starting strength Houston or now at OKC, what are, what are some client, <clears throat> some client case studies or, turnaround stories you've seen that are notable man a big one was um in houston and i think um y'all are doing another little interview with him but uh there's a guy named john wilbanks uh came away from covid with um he had like long covid or some crazy shit with his pulmonary system to where he just had to rely on oxygen um his heart rate with heart rate was through the roof just had a lot of shit going wrong with him and then seeing josh work with him and just thinking outside of the box that was a big, big game changer. Um, the way that you can apply this model, these these factors to it, and it's it's adaptable to a, a broad range of problems. That's that's awesome. Mm. And actually, in, in attesting to it, um, and not only from John's standpoint, but like uh, Miss Gus too. Whenever she was in Wichita Falls, mm -hmm. we'll link to the Gus video for the viewers if they want to watch that, so they know what you're talking about. We also have. Um, a woman and her son, really a family, they come into our noon class. Uh, the son has a disability, so he's, um, you know, he's autistic, so he he can't do a normal job. He can't really function outside of his his house. Mm -hmm. uh, the mother, sur cancer survivor, um, broken multiple bones, uh, just super frail. And then seeing that they can actually train in a place and not feel um, discouraged or anything like that. Like I, I couldn't even think of another gym off the top of my head where they could feel comfortable at and then still make progress. Like even if we were to just seclude a section of gold, like they, they would not be able to do the same thing they are now. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just the quality of the coaching. There's no comparison, right? Not, not just the care factor where the coaches there are the type of people and are incentivized to, to be there to help you. They're not incentivized mm -hmm. to sell you stuff. Um, and then they also have the talent. They've got the skill and experience to take you wherever you are now, however terrible that might be, whether it's a long COVID patient or a gal with osteoporosis that can't get up uh, with her own strength off a chair. And you can establish a starting point and then you can make things a little bit better and then a little bit better and then accumulate progress over time. And whether you're a 12-year-old Chase Lindley that will go on to deadlift 700 plus pounds or you're uh, you're this guy suffering from long COVID that um, is trying to recover from a nasty, you know, injury related to a virus. Um, you know, this, this is the same process for everybody. So it's, 
yeah, it's it's quite enjoyable for me to see all the stories come through and to hear all the stuff you guys do every day in the gyms and read your reviews and watch your videos. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about your job because um, only thing I worry about, Chase, is I feel like in your 20s, your work should be like your training, but more intense. I feel like th this is a genuine concern, so I'm curious what you think about this. Um, I know when I was in my 20s, I worked myself like nearly to death. I mean, I was working so much. It was actually bad for me. Like, yeah. And I think that's important. I think you got to find your limits. Like how, how nasty of a work ethic can you have? How, how much drive do you have? How much can you create? Um, and the, the head coach job is kind of easy, man. Uh, the head coach job, you don't have to prepare anything. You don't have to bring any materials. You know, you show up, are you doing the evening sessions or the morning sessions? The evening. So you show up at 4.45 p.m., you run three 90-minute sessions, and then you go home. And when you're there, you're not using any you know machinery or doing anything complicated. You're just kind of whatever you have up in here, experience-wise and skill-wise, you're sharing with your clients, and you're just speaking, and they're listening, and and that's that. So my, my only concern is, is this job pushing you hard enough? And I'm wondering what the next thing is for you because you head coach is kind of the, uh, the premier job that we have. It's, it's the, you're running the show at the gym, unless you end up overseeing multiple gyms. So what's, what, what are your thoughts on that? Are you, um, are you good where you're at in your career? Do you, what's in the future for you? I mean, shit, because, because you're 24 and you're already a head coach in an SSC, right? So what, how do you, how do you think about that? Are my concerns warranted or what are, what's your plan? No, um, it's, you know, just like what I was saying earlier, like you, you don't want to remain in stasis or just get complacent with anything. The big thing that I see now is just we need more coaches, man. Um, like right now in OKC, we have just me, Phoebe, and one of one apprentice. So, you know, my time is kind of taken up just watching those classes. Like I'll, I'll drop in a lot in the morning classes and help Phoebe. Now she has her credential. Now it's going to be the same thing with our apprentice, Greg, but he, he's in the evenings with me. Um, and then once we get this other location open up in Edmond, yeah, we're going to be split to where I'm basically going to do the whole entire process all over again. Um, it seems lackadaisical and kind of easy um, on the outside, but on the inside, like you still have to make sure that your the culture is still present in the gyms, that we're not going to have any issues. And everyone's all thinking about, um, you know, what, what we can do better. Um, for example, like, we're talking about what's happening in the morning classes as well as the evening. So that if I step into the 5:30 AM class, I know that John is working on this. I know that Sally's working on this. And the same thing that Phoebe knows is like, you know, Jim in the, the 7:15 class is working on that. So just making sure that we're always talking and communicative. Mm. Um, that's, that's a key. Um, but as far as like what I can kind of see myself doing more of, um, man, it's just, I would love to manage a lot more people. Mm. Um, and that's just going to be, you know, time is just going to be the factor. I think there of just, if we can get enough people in, I don't know how to kind of just draw people in from like golds or, um, these other personal trainers that are just doing nonsense. Um, that's going to be the hard one. I think. Mm -hmm. I got you. So <clears throat> the, the job on its face is simple, but since your quality standards are so high, you're, uh, you're quite focused and detailed in the way that you execute. And um, mm -hmm. your job is expanding in that, you know, as a head coach, you're not just showing up to your sessions and helping people get stronger. That's an important part of it. But now you're coaching coaches and you're learning how to develop and lead. Um, and, and I'm imagining this is new for you, right? So how long have you been actually doing that? Um, for about just a year. About a year well, ago. no, I take that back. I, probably a little bit more since I had some time in Houston with it, but mm -hmm. yeah, probably about close to two years, maybe a year and a half. So you, you're, you're a novice in leadership and managing others. And that's where you're focusing your attention to grow and develop. And your plan is to, mm -hmm. uh, is to be, yeah. I mean, Ripito is the teacher of teacher. He's the, the, the coach of coaches, right? So your, your goal is to, is to be somewhere similar from what I'm hearing. Definitely. Good, man. Well, we can definitely help with that. I mean, uh, yeah, as you've as you've seen from the franchise system, um, you know you took a bet on Rip being one of the first gyms. You went for it. You moved. Uh, it worked out really well. Houston is one of the most successful gyms. You then took a bet on a new gym in a small market, um, and that worked out in Oklahoma City with Colby and Sierra. 
And uh, now you're you're partnered up with these guys, and they're opening additional gyms. You're already in charge of the apprentice and coaching staff there, and then that'll scale to more people. And then, yeah, I mean, I I, I have uh, I, I have high aspirations for the growth of this thing. I think the the flywheel is already spun up, and now we'll just see what kind of growth that spits out. But I think it'll be rapid, mm -hmm. and I think. Guys like you that started in the early days, especially the ones that grew up with Ripito and have all that knowledge and background, will you'll have any opportunity you want. So we're happy to have you, man. I mean, uh, you know, you're like um, you really are like Rip's lab experiment. You're you're walking proof that these methods work exactly as they're written. And if they don't work, it's because you're not doing the program. And if you do the program, then you can become a Chase Lindley. Uh, and then, um, and then he became obsessed. He became a hell of a lifter, both power lifter and Olympic lifter became a hell of a coach. Um, it's been fun watching you. It's only, I've only known you a couple of years, but just in the last couple of years I've known you, it's been really cool to watch you excel as a professional and as a lifter and everything else. So well done, man. Thank you. Why don't we give these people that stuck around this long, some Chase Lindley lifting tips. So, um, you're a lifter, you've been through a bunch of issues, you've optimized your technique, your technique's gotta be damn near perfect to move the numbers that you move. Let's go through each lift, and I wanna hear from you, your one or two biggest tips, or the, the things that you like to think about that have helped you, or the things that you mention most in your coaching practice that you think people need to hear about. So um, let's start with the squat. What are, what are some Chase Lindley squat tips that may or not be obvious, that may or may not have been talked about a thousand times before? Um, man, the one that comes to mind is the midfoot being the master cue. I always kind of thought, you know, that's, that's a very big statement to kind of put that there, but as the weights get heavier balance is like super important. Um, and just making sure that you can operate the load effectively while being in balance. Yeah. That's, that's, a, it's almost an understatement now, whenever, you know, I read that, that quote again of you know, midfoot being the, the master cue. Mm -hmm. um, so as I'm squatting, I'm thinking about, yeah, staying in balance, staying right over the middle of the foot. And then um, from there, it's just whatever I'm kind of slightly tweaking. So I have a little bit of some knee tendonitis from just me slowly getting into my knees. Mm -hmm. um, so sitting back, making sure that I'm actually using my hips, that's mm -hmm. going to be the two effective things. Yep. Yeah, those are, those are two solid cues, right? Because other than keeping the balance over midfoot, you've got to bend over as quickly as possible on the descent and if you're thinking about squatting into your hips you're going to load up the hips and get bent over so great mm -hmm. advice and the the as the the heavier the weight gets the more important the right over the middle of the foot thing becomes isn't isn't that true oh definitely yeah so if, if for those of you that are, don't have a coach record yourself lifting and if you and look very closely at the weight distribution in your feet as you squat down and stand back up so Imagine your each foot like the chassis of a car, and you should have 25% load at each corner of the chassis and each tire, right? So from front to back, 50-50, from side to side, 50-50. You shouldn't be loading your toes, you shouldn't be loading your heels, you shouldn't be loading either side of your foot. And if you keep your feet planted and the even weight distribution, you'll be in the most mechanically efficient position to handle the weight. So um, keep this in mind, take a video of your, of your squat of all your lifts and see if you're if you're noticing the weight shift around and if you if it's egregious like i've seen some people that have sent in videos to me where the toes come up or the heels come up that's an immediate fix that's going to improve your lifts and make them feel easier and then prevent you from hitting the plateau um so solid now let's talk about the one you're you're famous for and actually before before you give us the press tip when did you realize that the press was going to be your thing that you wanted to be a press specialist at what age were you and what were you pressing at the time uh, I don't know. Like I've always just kind of pressed cause that was in the program. Um, it wasn't until I always thought it was just, you know, everyone pressed kind of this much until actually coaching people and realizing that, yeah, this is a little <laughs> bit different. Um, that kind of stuck out to me, but it was probably whenever I was hitting about, um, about 225 or so I was like, you know what? Um, I don't really care for the bench. Like it, it's all right. And, you know, I, I kind of always hated it because football coaches would always ask, Hey, what do you bench and mm -hmm. stuff like that? So just not falling into that, that category and just being, <clears throat> I want to be different. Um, yeah, it was about that time. And you still bench four thirty-five. 
<laughs> so you didn't forget about your bench. Um, okay. So what, what are your pressing tips? I mean, other than the obvious, you know, do a standing bench press and, and break your back. Like all the, all your friends on the internet say, what is your, yeah. <laughs> what's your press advice, <laughs> technical advice? Um, it's going to be a lot about practice. Um, so the timing is a big issue with the press. Um, well, what I like to tell people is just find a rhythm to it. Um, so what I, I tell people at the start, you know, Hey, it's a hip press, hip press, or like a one, two, one, two motion. Um, think of it as like a dance, something to where you're, you're getting that counter movement in the bar, that whip in the bar, and then riding that thing back up. Um, mm -hmm. that's going to be the big thing. Yeah. I like to uh, express the same thing. I say it's hips and then press. It's not hips press mm -hmm. at the same time. And then I reinforce the fact that the purpose of moving your hips forward is twofold. So firstly, you're getting your face out of the way so you can drive the damn thing straight up. Because as you've said, midfoot is crucial, especially as the, the weights go up. And then the second thing is you get a bit of a dip. So if you have a nice tight shelf and you bounce your hips forward hard, you get a little bit of a dip and you can catch the upswing of the dip and then drive the damn thing overhead. So um, big aggressive hips to accomplish that is the is the tip with the correct timing and rhythm. Is that right? That's right. And then if you can't get the rhythm right, uh, watch this video. We'll we'll try to remember to link to it. Nick did a video on um, leaving your hips forward on the press. So a lot of people just can't get that timing down. Hips and then press. Hips and then press. So what what uh we'll have you do on the platform if that applies to you is we'll have you just throw your hips forward, leave them forward. And then press the bar overhead so you're not crashing the damn thing into your chin or something, right? Um, how about the bench? Um, really just pinching your shoulder blades, um, making sure that you're driving your feet. I, me personally, I don't really drive my feet because, again, I'm just not really concerned about the bench. But um, from, like, the actual you know, model standpoint, I need to have an arch. I need to make sure I'm solid on the bench. So making sure that you're – basically making an arch uh, or I like to think of it as like an arch bridge. So I'm one end of the, the arch bridge is my shoulders being in contact of the, of the bench and then my feet driving, making sure that I'm hanging on to that as much as possible. And I'm not deviating my chest and that's going to be the big thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nice big arch. The pinching of the shoulder blades cue is an important one. I didn't take that one seriously enough when I first did the program, I must've overlooked it or you know how this material is, right? It's like, yeah. You can read you can read the thing and miss miss five important points and then you don't actually get those points until you've done some trial and error. So that applied to me and I've always had shoulder issues and I, I whenever I'd get above two hundred on the bench, I just have nasty shoulder pain on the right side. Um, and then the thing that fixed it was coaching, but the thing that really fixed it was the starting strength bench. Because this thing gives you so much feedback um, and it's so narrow that you have it keeps you honest. So I have to really squeeze my shoulder blades together. And for for those of you at home that are interested in improving this aspect of your bench, um, pretend or have someone actually go up behind you and stick their finger right between your shoulder blades and try to crush their finger with your shoulder blades. And that's how tight you need to have your shoulders um, pitched back together on the bench. And that'll put your your shoulder joint in the right position to avoid impinging things and stressing things in the wrong way. That'll, that'll create the most stable position to bench from. Um, how about the deadlift deadlift cue? Um, for me, it's going to be just a wave of an extension of the back. So making wrinkles on the shirt, um, trying to make an alien pop out of your chest type stuff. That's going to be, uh, king for a lot of people too, um, in terms of cues mm. and then just, pushing um simple as that it's just kind of a two-parter where it's just back extension and then making sure that you're driving your feet mm -hmm. yeah so the the hard work on the deadlift well the deadlift is hard as hell especially the numbers you're pulling but you've got to put in a lot of hard work before you even start the pull right um <clears throat> this is another thing i didn't understand until i went to a seminar and in fact i wasn't really putting much effort at all into squeezing my chest up and flattening my back and I remember at a, at a, on a platform in Atlanta, way year, uh, years back, um, I was being taught by a starting strength coach to extend my chest harder to get that cascade effect down my spine to straighten my whole back. And I did it so hard, and for the first time, that I actually popped a rib. So I was, oh, I was, I was done deadlifting for the day, but the, the point was clear that um, the deadlift isn't about bending over and ripping the bar off the ground. The deadlift is about methodically setting up and putting in a whole bunch of effort into squeezing your chest up and flattening your back 
And then the second point that you made is, I refer to this thing as a push, not a pull. Because I don't, I don't want people thinking about pulling the bar with their hands. I want people thinking about extending their knees. I want, I want people thinking about pressing, leg pressing the earth away. And then all that force is transmitted through your body, through your rigid spine and into your hands. And then the bar comes up off the ground as a result of the effort that you put into the floor through your feet, right? So, yeah, those are good tips. I think um, basically everybody that hasn't seen a starting strength coach needs to get better at setting their back, squeezing their chest up harder than they want to. We've got a bunch of videos on that. And then it would benefit everybody if they would just focus on pushing on the floor instead of thinking about yanking the bar off the ground. Because when you think about yanking the bar off the ground, you start with a hip extension, and then the bar comes forward, and it's just not the, the correct movement pattern. So pushing the floor away with a rigid back is the is the way to go. Um, you said you you deadlifted 730 pounds? Mm-hmm. Was that in a meet, or was that at the gym? No, that was, uh, that was at the last seminar, uh, which was in, what, June? Did you get a video of that one? Yeah, it's up on my Instagram. Hell yeah, all right. All right, so last question I have for you. This is this one's from Ina. Uh, she wanted me to talk to you about how lifting and being strong has helped you with your diabetes situation. So you've got you've got type one diabetes. This is the the genetic one, the one you're born with. Um, mm-hmm. You've got an issue creating enough insulin, so it's a, a pancreatic problem. And then you take uh, you take an insulin shot essentially to to manage the situation. So talk to me about starting strength and um, and diabetes. Um, so I've actually kind of done a little bit of research with this, um, just kind of experimenting with myself. Um, I'll check my blood before um, working out and and then after, because I've been kind of noticing I've been getting low. And it's not because I'm taking insulin before the workout or anything, but it's just due to what's happening on the chemical level, um, I'm getting low from all the other you know, floating insulin that's happening around in my body from just shots previous of whenever I ate several hours before uh, working out. So I'll start a session um, around like 185. And that's a little bit on the high side, but then I'll finish and I'm about in the 70. So an average range is about 120 to 90. And I'm, I'm swinging in between there. And it's, it's pretty drastic. Sometimes it just depending on, um, know how hard my session is the intensity if i'm doing a bunch of volume and all that stuff that kind of those factors will uh, kind of skew my numbers a lot but if i if i didn't have lifting i i definitely probably would be in a lot worse shape um just from how my arteries would be handling uh the swing in blood sugar um just how i i can function through um just normal day processes uh of, of having like low spells or high spells, um, that's, it's helped a lot. It's contributed a lot. Mm. Cause insulin educate us on this. So insulin is the hormone that regulates blood sugar. It's a thing that it ensures that your, your glucose concentration and your blood serum doesn't become toxic or deadly. So you, you don't produce yep. enough, right? So you, you have to wear a pump. Is, is that right? Do you wear a pump? Uh, I used to, but now I'm just taking external shots. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, you take exogenous insulin to manage your, your glucose, but mm-hmm. what have you learned about the function of muscle mass in, in regulating glucose? Cause that, that, uh, that certainly gives you an extra buffer, doesn't it? When you've, when you've done difficult anaerobic work and you've exhausted the short-term energy stores that that's held in the muscle tissue, you then have a big um, soppy sponge of tissue that's available to soak up the excess glucose running through your blood from the previous meal. In addition to, um, and then and then the insulin is the is the transport mechanism. Is that right? Can you can you help fill it's in the gaps in my understanding? Yeah. So you know, you, on the cell membrane, you have um, insulin basically gateways. Um, so the, the insulin is essentially key. Uh, it opens up the gateway and then allows you know the transfer of the glucose inside the cell membrane. Mm. Um, and yeah, you're right about the muscles kind of being like the storage is there with the amount of muscle mass I have, um, as I'm training again, with the amount of shit that I'm doing in my session, I can create a huge gap that needs to be filled. And if I'm, let's say a week of not having insulin, um, if I'm running high, um, I'm able to kind of uh, reduce the effects of how high it can, can be with just how training is. 
Sorry, now, by high, you, you know, mean your, your blood sugar is running too high. Is that right? Exactly. Your blood okay. sugar too high. Let's say like in a weird uh, apocalyptic type setting, if I go train and if I didn't have insulin, I can kind of somewhat manage it with some barbells. It. Um, it's not the best idea, but it's, it's something that could still prolong um, my longevity a little bit. It's a mitigation um, factor. Exactly. Yeah. But you need this shit to live. I mean, you need to have insulin on hand. Uh, you have to. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. And anything you want to say to, to people that are, um, that have diabetes, whether type type one or type two and, and either barbell trainer or thinking about barbell train training, what is, what is something they need to know that they, that they don't know that you've learned throughout this process? Um, probably just always check your blood and make sure that you're not just taking my, my words for, for whatever they are. Um, do your own research, making sure that you're, cre you're collecting your own data. Mm. Um, cause I, my experience could be different from what you're doing. Mm. Um, the amount of shit that you're doing in your session could not, you know, produce enough of, uh, a void in that, in that, that gap to be filled with glucose or other resources. So, you know, again, just, just always check your blood, making sure that you're um, on top of it. Nice. All right. Well, we've got a few more minutes. So let me, let me do one more actually. And I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm essentially functioning as the historian of starting strength. So my, my goal with some of these things is just to capture the moment of time of, of where we're at now and get as many of the stories out as possible from the people that actually experience the stories. Right. And, and one day there will be a Ripito documentary and some of these clips will be in that. So I'm just trying to uh, make sure our audience that's been with us and, and or is just discovering us and is really a fan of what we're doing has an understanding of how this stuff all came together. Um, so give me give me a fun one. What what is a what is a fun story you have of Ripito? What's a what's a good memory or a, a fun anecdote that you can <laughs> that you can share with the audience that uh, that's a fun rip moment for you? Um, man, probably being invited to my first, uh, like winter solstice. So Rip doesn't celebrate Christmas or any of like the typical holidays. He kind of does his own thing. And one of them being the, the winter solstice and his house is a trip, man. It, it's almost a museum. It's a castle. It's yeah. It's a it's museum castle homestead. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's everything that you ever wanted a house to be as a kid, uh -huh. but then, you know, amplified to like a 65 year old man guns everywhere, um, walking rattlesnake yeah, tails dude, on his kitchen table, knives you know, everywhere, knives yeah, and blades and <laughs> chain yeah, mail. It's walking in there. I was like, dude, this is, this is so damn cool. Yeah. Like I, I would love to have a house like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, just it's experiencing just being in, in the room on winter solstice with him and, and just being around him is just, it's amazing. Mm. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're big into Norse mythology and, uh, and they, they celebrate that holiday. And I, I don't even know what goes down, but I know Carmen parties and, and rip goes hard. So it must be a good time. Yeah. Are you, are you ending the yeah, story there? Or can you share any details? No, um, so it's not like we sacrifice anything or <laughs> anything crazy. It's you just, sacrifice it's just the weakest feast. member of the gym. No, 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 man. It's a, no, it's a, it's a big <laughs> feast. Um, hell, I remember one time. So yeah, Rip has um, a chainmail shirt that Steph made him, and uh, we we all wanted to put it on. Like my big ass could not fit it, so they're like, "Look, don't try it because we may not be able to get it off you." So uh, um, several guys, so Rusty and there's a guy named Mike at the gym. They put it on and. We're over there slashing them with a the machete. And I think Nick has a video of this like on his Instagram, but um, just the way the blade sounds on the, the chain mail sounds like, a, you know, in the movies, like the little sing, it's, mm -hmm. it's fucking awesome. Hell yeah. Um, and just learning about like Chicago, the, the artist music, mm -hmm. you know, um, whenever I told Rip, I was like, yeah, yeah I like this music. And he's like, you do? Like, that was kind of a shock to him. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I mean, this sounds, it always sounds like how I wanted my Christmases to be, but without, all the stupid bullshit and um mm -hmm. of like christmas presents and christmas trees and all that stuff rip knows a lot about music there's a bunch of topics the guy can yeah. just go on and on about it's pretty it's pretty impressive yeah good um a good a good role model to have so to speak as a young man growing up you know a guy who just kind of blazed his own trail thinks for himself built the lifestyle that he wants exactly the, the way he wants it and lives lives by his own standards and no nobody else's so i think that's a that's a damn good example that was set for you, and I, I think it's already paying off. And man, I gotta say, I'm, I'm grateful for you. I'm glad you're around. Um, 
uh, it was really it was really worrisome in the early days. We didn't know how we were going to staff these damn gyms. Like we just kind of build things and hope that we can connect all the dots at the exact right time. And things have tended to work out really well. But you were one of the first people to jump in and be a part of this thing. And uh, I'm glad that you did that because you've helped us quite a bit. And I know we've also helped you quite a bit um, grow as, as a young man and grow in your career. And sky's the limit for you, man. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always here for you. If you need something, just let me know. And uh, you can go anywhere you want in the organization as far as I'm concerned. And I, I know that Colby and Sierra will, ha- will uh, do their best to hold on to you for as long as possible. So hopefully they grow fast enough to keep your interests. But um, yeah, Chase, thanks for all that you've done for us, man. And thanks for the time today. This was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, man. See ya. See ya.